talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello, and welcome everyone to More Like the Worst Wing Our podcast where here in the year 2020 We take a look at Aaron Sorkin's seminal work The West Wing From a modern leftist socialist perspective I am Dave And I am Stu and we have a little bit of a, of a combined two-parter this week, because when watching the first episode that we're about to discuss, entitled The Long Goodbye, uh, I quickly realized about halfway through that there are zero politics in this episode, and there's really nothing of meat to discuss. So let's just, we'll do a quick summary on that, and then we're going to jump straight into the next episode, which is part one of a two-parter about the inauguration. So, yeah, so uh, we, we kind of screwed up the uh, the splitting of things up here, but <laughs> I definitely did not want to devote one discussion to three full episodes of the show. And Correct. honestly, like, it's not that much of a two-parter. It's just that they tell the story of Inauguration Day over two episodes. So Correct. Yeah, it's, it's not really, yeah, it doesn't have like a huge cliffhanger or anything like that. So uh, before we get to that, though, let's quickly and briefly discuss this CJ episode entitled The Long Goodbye, which is rare and very off-formula for the West Wing. Uh, For one, it is entirely focused around one character, CJ. Uh, For a second, she is in Dayton, Ohio, uh, and not (laughs) anywhere near the White House, and we get very little of the White House, uh, even when we flash back to the other supporting cast who she's talking to. But it's mostly about she's coming home for her high school reunion where she's going to give a speech. Uh, But the bulk of the episode is devoted to her father who has early onset Alzheimer's um, and his mind is, you know, starting to show signs of completely fading away. Um, And I want to say, like, it's okay, but it's also like the most cliche sort of Alzheimer's story That, like, if you've ever seen any show tackle Alzheimer's, you've seen all the beats of this episode played out before. Yeah, it's not, it's not only, that's me dropping some shit. It's not only, like, um, like, the, it's very stereotypical things that happen, and it's very stereotypical times at which they happen as it flows through the episode. It's, like, every top to bottom on it is just, like, this could be on any show from the late 90s to early yeah. 2000s. It, it has zero to do with politics. Uh, the, there, nothing political happens at all. Uh, the only thing we ever see of the White House is that Toby is covering for CJ, and there's like a little bit of comedy mind out of that because like he's not good at being press secretary uh, and whatnot, and she's like you know shouting him notes and stuff like that over the phone from Dayton, Ohio. Um But overall, it's just, it's such a weird episode. When I was watching the show originally, my first time through, I, like, I was just, I hated this one. I was just like, (laughs) this sucks. Go back to our characters at the White House. Go back to talking about stuff that happens. What the fuck is this episode? Like, and and who's this old dude? And why the fuck is Matthew Modine guest starring, like, this (laughs) fabulously famous actor? Yeah. I mean, I guess we had Christian Slater and whatever, but, like, why 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 now yeah. fucking private joker shows up yeah. <laughs> uh when cj gets off the gets at the uh, dayton airport uh and uh picks her up and they go out on like a lo- they decide to go to the reunion together 
uh, like on a date sort of thing, and they end up hooking up and and having sex in a motel room uh, before the reunion uh, because CJ's like too worried about her dad and the stress of like giving the speech and all this, and so uh, they go off and have sex. I and again, just like another, just it's straight out of gross point blank type. Like you know, this is this age of people going back to high school for mm-hmm. a thing like mm-hmm. it hits every trope on the way down the bad writing it's, tree it's, just, it's like, just super like i said if you ever seen this kind of story in anything else you know every beat of it already you know her dad freaks out he forgets who cj is you know he gets angry they go to the doctor he tells them it's gonna be bad like it, it's so cliche and formulaic yeah and i mean i guess and, um, uh, honestly that's that's most of my thoughts on this <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna. Say, I was gonna say that 15 years ago when this was filmed, you know, Alzheimer's people knew what it was, and people. Yeah, it's not like it was a hot new thing to talk about, really. It, you know, it just. I think um, some of it's a it's a tricky subject to treat in media. I wouldn't which say they it, handled it like insensitively, but the, also they didn't handle it with any particular care really. Or even like devotion to accuracy. I mean, some right. of it is right, some of it's wrong. I mean, my my grandfather died from complications of Alzheimer's in the late oh. 90s and it's like, some of it's right, like I can see some of this, some people react to it differently, but it's very it just also makes you wonder why? why? Like Again, top to bottom, why? why? Why Why tell this story at this point in the show? It's it's such a weird choice all around. It it so sticks out from every other episode because it's completely off formula. Uh, and it's, like you said, it's like something out of a different show. It could be an episode of, like, This Is Us or something. <laughs> I really like the doctor's line that you wrote down. He should be mad. It sucks. And I was like, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, this particular one does, Doc. Yeah, you fucking tell her, Doc. Like, yeah, it does suck. It su- Alzheimer sucks, you know? It's it's real bad, and, you know? But we knew that already. Like, yeah. th- And the show doesn't have any n- anything new to tell us about it. It just sort of tells us, yeah, it does suck in, in all over again. What a, what a waste of an episode. That, the, that's uh, my final thoughts. The one thing that I got out of this was um, learning that Matthew Modine, Private Joker... Passed on the role of Maverick in Top Gun. Oh he my was God. approached first. He oh could have been God. the Tom Cruise. Oh my God. Like what a career <laughs> shift that could have been. Yeah. Holy and instead shit. here he is guest starring on a See, bottle oh my God. See now I'm picturing player. him like jawing off with, um, uh, oh shit. What's the guy? Who's Val Kilmer? Yeah. Val, or, yeah Val no, Kilmer. Anthony Edwards. <laughs> and but, doing, and doing yeah. like the teeth snap to Matthew Modine and everything. And like, <laughs> yeah. man, what a world that would have been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much all of my thoughts on this particular episode. Let's, we'll take a quick break and then we'll talk about the episode that actually has politics in it. Inauguration part one. Change my mind, love is fine, good and at the ridge and greeting balls of fire. Kiss me, baby. Ooh, it feels good. Hold me, baby. Yeah, you gotta let me love you like a love is should. You're fine, so kind. I'm gonna tell this world that you're mine, 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 mine. That you my nails. 
Okay, so for the actual episode this week, um, it's titled Inauguration Part 1, and the overarching kind of the time frame in which the show occurs is leading up to Bartlett's second inauguration. I think it's like the week before is, yep. is sort of the episode contains, yeah. And they are, of course, freaking out about writing his speech. Yes, the big the big <sighs> inauguration speech. And making reference to some other historical inauguration speeches and blah, 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 and Zaza speeches. But this is all set against the backdrop that quickly kind of shoehorns its way in past the inauguration day drama that there is a burgeoning genocide being reported on in a fictitious nation called the, the equatorial Repub- yeah the republic of equatorial kundu <laughs> <laughs> republic uh, of equatorial kundu. which we have heard of before it, that's where sharif's from right so no 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 well, i thought sharif was from kundu uh, no. no sharif's from um they made up another nation for him right um Let's see. Let's see if I can Google it real quick. We can do this live. Sharif is from Kumar. That's okay. Sorry. They're both K sounds. Yep. And they mixed yep. up in my mind. Yeah. So they now they've invented a second fictional country. Uh, and this one is definitely meant to be a Rwanda analog. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, as you said, there is a burgeoning genocide happening. We see it sort of play out in parts where at first there's like 200 deaths on one day. Uh, and then the next day, CJ has to report there's, like, estimates of 5,000 deaths, and then it goes up to, like, 10,000, 15,000, 25,000, and you start to get the sense of, like, oh, shit, you know, this is a real genocide happening here. Yeah. Um, so, basically, this is, and from what I understand from what Emma was telling me in the background, um, because he lived through and sort of experienced his political awakening during the Clinton years, this is Aaron Sorkin writing what he wished the administration had done mm-hmm. during the the Clinton administration had done during the Rwandan genocide. Right. So as a brief background for any listeners who haven't heard about this or are familiar with it, in 1994, um, there was, and there are two major ethnic groups in the completely colonially derived nation state of Rwanda. It's on the eastern border of the Congo, or what was then known as the Congo. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the Hutus are one and the Tutsis. The Hutus had control of the government at the time. And the Tutsis in minority were actually waging a civil war <laughs> um, already. Mm-hmm. And the majority government used a like a full-on Rush Limbaugh-style propaganda blitz to gin up um, basically ethnic hatred and killings mm-hmm. of the Tutsi minority. And it was savage, brutal, just like entire breakdown of society for about six months after which the Tutsis were like, well, fuck this peace talk stuff. We're going to bring our troops back in and got so pissed off that the Tutsis actually steamrolled the Hutus into the Congo. <laughs> Like, pushed them physically out of the country and started, and this is basically, it goes along with, like, the wars in that country as well, eventually started launching military incursions into another sovereign nation's territory to further purge the Hutus. Jesus Christ. So, it's just back and forth, and it was a horrific, horrific time. Um, Yeah. 
I'll make a I'll make a recommendation real briefly. There's a book called uh, "We Wish to Inform You That Tomorrow We Will Be Killed with Our Families." It's a long title. Um, it's by this guy Philip Gorovich. Um, it's a just insane book to read. He's a writer for the New Yorker now. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, check it out. I mean, this is a interesting piece of history and horrible piece of history that actually goes overlooked quite a bit. However, the West Wing didn't. So right. So to they its did- credit. Yeah, they did decide to tackle it head on, so credit where credit's due. Uh, and they, they, I don't want to say they give a even-handed account of it, because they, they really sort of gin up these, cr- I mean, to be fair, the actual crimes that happened in Rwanda were crimes of utter inhumanity and just the worst shit. But this show does not hold back at all from portraying fictional uh, representations of those crimes in in the episode. Well, we, we get to hear, you know, awful, awful shit that happens, uh, including a thing at the end of the episode where a bunch of the characters talk about they're sending their families to sleep in their neighbors' houses. Um, and content warning for rape here uh, for the next minute or so. But we find out the reason for this is because they're ma- they're making each other rape who they live with. Yeah. Which is it's... just like, oh my god. Well, and so this is, and I mean, might as well talk about this right now because, like, the show obliquely mentions it. They say, like, they're trading spouses or, like, trading families. They're, they're sleeping at their neighbors' homes, and everyone, like, treats that Everybody's very, like, very seriously without we're, we're saying what the think. implication is until the very end of the episode. Yeah, we're left to think, like, well, what does that mean? But everybody gets a super somber expression on their face. Right. And then by the end of the episode, they explicitly tell you what's going on. And I would like to get it on record that I don't give a shit if this is based in fact. This is super fucked up well, to put yeah. in a TV show. Yes. Well, and the reason why it's super fucked up is it becomes a justification for imperial action uh, from on our part. So basically, in, as you said, this is Sorkin trying to write what he thinks the Clinton White House would have done or should have done. And in his mind, what they should have done is gone in there, fucking Team America, World Police style, guns a-blazing, and just fucking kill whoever they need to kill until things are quote-unquote right. Yeah, and... Which, of course, wouldn't cause any other problems. Well, no, and he he uses this super disgusting, like, um, over-the-top anecdote thing to, as a cudgel with the audience, to, to be like... Of course, it would be justified to imperial ends because to mm, unilaterally of, go in there and and fuck around. Like, let me think of what the grossest possible thing is. Um, familial rape. I'm gonna write that in mm-hmm. to the show explicitly and then use it. on my network primetime television show. Yeah, it's it's a little it's a little it's disgusting. a little much. Like we, you know, the deaths. You know, they tell us about the deaths, and that should be enough. To, to, you know, to fully explain. But he has to go, like, a step beyond and be like, no, 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 it's the evilest shit you could ever imagine, and therefore any action on our part is justified. Yeah. So- and that, that's the sort of gross assumption here. And the problem is the episode really leans into it uh, with Will, in particular, being sort of the 
the real champion of, yeah, absolutely, we should go in there, and we should fuck around, and we are the world police, and, like, he goes hard on that when he's talking with Toby, because they're deciding, um, they're trying to rewrite the foreign policy section of the inauguration because of all of the stuff that's happened recently with this Kundu thing, and Will becomes this awful, awful, Awful. And you know what? I think Will being an awful character will be a theme for the uh, for our next, uh, you know, however many seasons <laughs> yeah. that we cover putting, Will. <laughs> putting him in at this point of the show is was an interesting choice, obviously, but it's also... Well, it was one sort of forced on them by the Rob Lowe thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but they're taking full advantage of it to, um, as a blank slate, to be like, well, this guy doesn't have any history so right and his dad's a nato commander so of course he would believe in like the the might of you know military forces and whatnot but it's it's the things the show doesn't talk about that really kind of get on me like there's no mention of multilateralism or like the un or any sort you know it's always just got to be it's america on its own has to do everything has to you know go in there and fuck around with our big dick military and yeah, it's, well, it's these gross sort of assumptions that the show never ever questions because it's already like so far up its ass and it's near liberal imperialist hegemony kind of mentality. Yeah, it's to like it paves its own way here because it is the type of knee jerk, emotional, disgusting, like clearly delineated type of genocidal action that i mean even in my brain would justify some sort of of a response of course but yes. like but like i say nothing's talked about about the un or like getting a coalition of countries together it's just going to be us it's just team america world police yeah and what are, what are what are we specifically doing how do we specifically respond right to how this? do we it's do like, it like how like no, there's no talk of tactics or anything it's just send troops there and and then they'll you know they'll fix it they're quote unquote well, peacekeeping forces you know yeah and to like to your point let's let's go into this too they the reason that a lot of the drama between the characters happens in this episode is because the president requests a force depletion analysis for if of, he had to send troops into into equatorial kundu yeah, yeah. yeah so basically how many like, american how many american lives would we lose and that is the full focus of it and it gets called out by will um in a in a really kind of interesting moment where he actually where Bartlett is talking to Will about the language of the foreign policy section and and sort of offhandedly, rhetorically remarks to himself, why is it that a Kundu life is worth less to me than an American one? And Will goes, I don't know, sir, but it is. And I mean, that's a fucking good own. Like, yeah. that's a... For for talking to the president, and to be fair, Bartlett like acknowledges this. He's like, "You're a little mouthy, ain't you, boy?" Yeah, <laughs> and then, and then, but later on with Leo, he gets upset on reflecting on it, and he's like, "He's like, fuck. Why is he right though? Like, why do I care more about American lives than Kundu lives?" And and I think it also even that discussion frames it within the within the. America World Police yes. um, sphere. It's just like, well, our, our only option is to trade military action to save lives. Like, yep. And, and, and there's like, no talk of diplomacy. There's no talk of any other possible tactics. 
uh, you know, or anything like that. It's immediately just Trump to send in peacekeeping forces. Yeah, and again, granted, this is where, God, even I am so steeped in just the presumption of, well, you talk through things until you can't, and then you fight it out type of imperialism that it's just like, we, what, what would we or could we have done right other than that type of interventionism other than other than making it in another iraq you know yeah and it's a it's an issue that the left in this country is and this has actually been echoing for probably the last eight nine months um in the in the podosphere and the blogosphere on the left it's like we are we are completely unprepared to answer that question we we have no even frame of reference for alternative approaches to right but to me, it's not about picking the perfect alternative approach. It's the fact that alternative approaches aren't even on the fucking table for the yes. most part. You know, we, we America knows one response, and it's use our big dick military. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, because okay. everything looks like a nail. Exactly. When, you, when, when all you have is a hammer, everything in the world looks like a nail, precisely. Uh, but uh, I also wanted to mention that, so the, the episode also has this neat little detail that perfectly sums up this idea of we care much more about American lives than any other, where when the genocide is starting, they're much more concerned about getting these 500 American missionaries out of Kundu than they are about helping Kundu in any way. Yeah, it gives the game away. Like yeah, right there, right there from the get-go, because they're all just concerned about, did the Americans get out? Like, five different characters ask, like, did the Americans get out? Are the Americans okay? Before they worry about any fucking Kundu fatalities. Yeah, or even, like, anything beyond the the literal just, well, the, the mathematics mm-hmm. of human life of versus ha- human how life. How many soldiers yeah. will we lose, you know? it's it, Everything is weighed on the scale of how many American lives get lost. Who cares about the rest of the world's lives? They don't matter is the implicit assumption of all of this. Well, I think this is, I mean, not to get too super high level concept about it. It's the, it's the fundamental fallacy of a nation state. If you want to pursue a humanistic, well, yes, (laughs) if you want to pursue a humanistic foreign policy, it's, it's impossible Mm -hmm. because, because people, how can other countries fix other countries problems, especially with a military approach. And, the people who vote for you have been conditioned to only perceive their interest as represented by you. So mm-hmm. why would they give a shit about a bunch of people from other countries? Like right. it fundamentally undermines well, this the goes concept. back to the uh, to the foreign aid shit from the the couple episodes ago where, you know, all the the poll about how most Americans want foreign aid cut because fuck the rest of the world. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. So and it yet, all ties in. Here we that. are. And then it turns out, oops, when the rest of the world's problems, they actually affect us because we all live in the same world, folks. Yep. Um, Yeah, so basically what our very high concept moral from today's episode is, is down with Westphalian democracy. Mm -hmm. Um, We need some sort of one world government, NWO. The UN needs to not be fucking worthless. (laughs) That's kind of my takeaway from this episode. Is like because otherwise it's just America unilaterally gets to dictate the world's the world's policy effectively. Yeah, and if they're, I mean, kind of again to try and justify my 
my thinking about this. It's like if there's if there was ever anything that um, warranted intervention, large scale, large, large scale right. intervention. This, to be fair, it is this sort of thing. Exactly. But the problem, but the problem is, we do in Iraq instead, and they weren't doing a genocide, and we do in Afghanistan, and they yeah. weren't doing a genocide. You're like that's the problem, you know. Yeah, as soon as you excuse that sort of mentality of like, okay, well, for certain situations we should do this, it becomes easier to be like, well, what about this situation? What about this situation? And and all and so on and so on. Well, and I, I don't think Rwanda has any natural resources that we want to plunder. So. It, mm-hmm. I mean, they probably do. They yeah. probably do, but I don't know. Um, but but not oil, you know. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and we'll discuss uh, Sir not appearing in this episode, Jack <laughs> Reese. And welcome back. Uh, so as I was saying, uh, in terms of Sir not appearing in this episode, they have a lot for Christian Slater's Jack Reese character to do in this episode, but they were not able to get Christian Slater. So <laughs> so the episode has to do this fucking awkward-ass juggling act where Donna just keeps telling Josh about all these things Jack said and all these things Jack is doing, and it's the like platonic ideal of you know the concept of show don't tell this is the exact opposite of that they are telling not showing yeah it's really awful and like the even the um the way that they sort of invoke it it's it's so blatantly the delivery by the by the actors and the way it's scripted is just like jack reese turned at the camera wink remember him right (laughs) you know he's just off screen doing important things (laughs) But we can't show it to you because uh, we only had Christian Slater for the two episodes. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> yeah, we can't pay more than scale for a guest appearance on this show, and Christian Slater is too big ticket. <laughs> right, or he, he must have been working on another project or something like that. <laughs> I'm but sure. it's the most awkward. Like, if you're going to do the, just don't do it then. Like, just fucking cut Jack Reese out. <laughs> don't, you know, uh, like, have, have Fitz Wallace be the guy. Or have, you know, introduce a new... Uh, person that can be like the military person. Bring back, uh, they've got Nancy at this point, right? Nancy McNally. Yeah. Like, have Nancy McNally well, do it. Well, fuck, like, you watch them introduce the Secretary of Defense as a new character who has many lines. Oh, yeah, lines. the state guy. Uh, uh, and the Secretary of State guy. Many lines. Yeah. Both of them. And it's just like, yeah. oh, but we're not gonna bother to, to, to use that instead of this incredibly awkward, like, Jack Reese died on the way back to his home planet. Like, it really is just so awkward. And and just Donna has to just see, like, well, Jack did this today. And, and then Jack told me about this. And uh, uh, one of my favorite bits is uh, she's she's so proud of uh, they're they're going to go to the inauguration ball together. And she's cavelling about Jack's uh, military dress uniform and that he's going to have a saber on his belt and everything like that. And then she gets she does the military version of our uh, credential check. Uh, where she where she just lists off all these fucking things he's going to be wearing on his lapel. And here, just put the clip in. Yeah, we'll put the clip in. 
No, he'll be wearing his dress blues. Warfare pin, submarine officer pin, two commendation medals, meritorious unit, purple heart, bronze cross, and a saber. I'll be wearing a tuxedo from Gary's. Yeah, it's... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Like, oh, he's got medals. That means he's a good person. <laughs> it's, it's the uh, it's the gender swap. My wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My boyfriend. <laughs> my boyfriend. <laughs> so, and again, all the more awkward because Jack Reese isn't fucking there. <laughs> yeah, we, we just have to imagine, like... And like we like, what if we got to toward the end of the episode, we got to see him in, in the military dress uniform with the saber and everything. It would put it would tie a nice little bow on all of this, but we don't get that. It's it's pretty blatant, and I think also like these things, whenever they crop up, it seems very much like a way to justify keeping someone on the cast, and so it always makes me wonder like. Did Donna's contract demand that she get written into X number of episodes? Like Janelle Maloney. I get what you're she, saying. Mm-hmm. Was she arranged such that it was mandatory that she, that has, she has a plot line every yeah. X episodes or so? Yeah. Like, yeah, like if you go three episodes without giving Donna something, you know, that's like violation of contract. Yeah, yeah. I get it. Yeah, uh, it could be, you know, that might be like the. But either way, it's just sloppy writing all around. And there's a million different ways you could do this without this awkwardness of of constantly referring to just off-screen Jack Reese. Yeah, so it also, like... There is- this also effectively ends their relationship, by the way, because uh, the final thing that Donna tells us about instead of us seeing is that Jack Reese gets transferred to uh to like i don't know wherever the <laughs> yeah, fuck His because whole planet. <laughs> because well, going back to earlier with the force depletion report so they go they do an end around on like the chief of the department of defense what by getting jack reese to do the uh force depletion report uh which is what gets him in hot water and gets him transferred because like they did an end around around you know the department of defense guy and he gets all in leo's face and they have a big yell about it and it's very very dramatic but like over kind of nothing it's like just some like jurisdiction shit you know yeah and i mean it's it's also an excuse for like leo to have something to do yeah he gets to yell at the dod guy Uh, and they have a they have a yell back and forth uh i do like the uh the dod actor um he's he's i don't know his name off the top of my head but he's one of these character actors you see pop up in a million things um and he does a fine job of being a a military shouty man yeah he seems familiar his the actors no excuse me the actor's name is steve ryan and his name in the show is miles hutchinson oh what Um, a good name (laughs) that's right oh yeah he was on um arrested development oh he's the the art guy (laughs) that that george that george bluth gets to prank his kids (laughs) with the and that's why you always leave a note (laughs) (laughs) you're right that's him oh my god oh he's dead oh he died in 2007 oh rest in peace dude all right taken too early um but uh yeah uh, just uh, jack reese is gone yeah, like you said, Jack Reese dies on the way back to his his home assignment or, yeah. or whatever. Um, uh, the other minor things I wanted to talk about is uh, Will's sister is still hanging around the White House for some reason. Um, and it just kind of follows him around and, and like I said, so, sort of acts like his like rap group hype man. <laughs> yeah. Where she just kind of like backs him up on everything. 
and it's just it's just so weird and, and toby's toby's just like shouldn't you be like doing something get the fuck out of my face <laughs> like and danica mckellar isn't exactly like an a-tier actress but she's definitely like established she was winnie fucking cooper and mm-hmm. it feels like maybe the writers were having her stick around in case they could wangle some sort of relationship drama relationship maybe dra- yeah. or like a way to get her in with the first lady and use her oh then. right she is on the first lady's writing staff yeah um, that's that's what her job is uh she says the first lady likes her jokes um at one point so yeah that's that's her role but uh we don't get stalker channing in this episode so we i'm pretty sure we never even see stalker channing and um and winnie cooper together at all <laughs> i don't i don't believe so um, no but it is it is pretty funny that she just kind of owns Toby for a little yeah. while. Yeah, like I I do appreciate it, and she's a fine actress. So, but it's again just sort of an awkward writing thing of like what what's she doing? Like why is she just following Will around? Well, yeah, and they made a I think it's it's just so weird that they made such a big deal out of Will's transition of being like oh I have to move and oh I'm supposed to be going on vacation. I like I want to square away my shit, and then and she just like, shows so, up. So. Is is she just like homeless or she's a woman? We don't have to worry she's about ra- that kind of thing. Oh my god, it's it's so strange. But she's around and she's getting her digs in on Toby. Yeah, and then uh, to transition off of that, one last thing to talk about in this segment is uh, we do get more follow up with Danny pursuing the uh, Sharif assassination story, where it turns out the original tipster who tipped him off to it, the the cricket player guy. Um, the guy who went back for his cricket back and saw the three American Rangers guarding the airstrip. Uh, he is now, like, recanting the details, uh, which is sort of, like, implying that someone got to him. Yeah, it's In great. some kind of way. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, again, uh, credit where credit's due. I really like that they're continuing to pay off this arc of the Sharif thing over, you know, it's been, like, more than half a dozen episodes at this point. Like, good, good job show for sticking with it. Yeah, and there's, like... You can sort of, especially in CJ's reactions to it, you can kind of feel the like the tension mounting and mm-hmm. her, her it's control all, slipping. Sort it's of, it's all very well done. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I always like to try to be fair to this show, even when we do rip it apart and, <laughs> yeah. and give credit to the good parts. And this is the only storyline in this episode I actually had like real investment in is when uh, Danny was talking about his his following up of the Sharif assassination. Yeah, and like. He does, you know, Timothy Busfield does a great job mm-hmm. with the character. It's, I, it is interesting that, I think we talked about this a couple episodes ago, that in a show where ideally in their frame of political reference, journalists are sort of, the uh, enemy. sort of like the enemy, that yeah. he's the best one. It's like, yes. you, you've done a better job of representing your enemy, which good for you, than you do of like writing yourself into this show. <laughs> yeah, of, so of writing your characters being like effective at all <laughs> yeah. in their goddamn governance, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah, that's all really good. The, um, her, him, and CJ get a nice moment where C, you know, uh, CJ earlier in the episode, not knowing he's right oh, behind yeah. her, is, yeah. is making these off the cuff comments of like, you know, oh f Danny, I could have Danny anytime I want or and, uh. whatever. <laughs> and then Danny's like right behind her. He's like, how's that now? <laughs> um, and then so later on, she does this little move where she pulls him into a room, presumably to talk about the Sharif thing, but then is like. Here, smell my perfume. Do you like it? Do you like my blouse? And Dan- Danny starts getting like horny as shit, and, and then like starts to move in for a- another kiss. And then CJ's like, "Remember when I said I could have you? I would do that to have yeah. you." It, it, it rules. It's like, good again. Good for it's her. A, because... It's a good expression of like female sexual agency that Sorkin normally doesn't do well. Yeah, and it seems very, and it, on, in this instance, it's also it's tied into the remainder of the show. It's um, yeah, it's it, wor- it works on every level. Yeah, 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 yeah. They do yeah. a good job. Yeah. So uh, th- that's all my scattered thoughts for this particular segment. Anything else on your end? No, I think that pretty well covers like the minor character stuff. So let's take one more break and we'll wrap up. Yep. Welcome back. Um, before we f- actually wrap up, uh, I did want to mention the little comedy uh, subplot that they have running throughout this episode is that uh, so we start in media res at the actual inauguration before we flash back to like six days earlier. And at the actual inauguration, uh, Charlie's like, here, here, I found a Bible because they were apparently scrambling for a Bible. And and he, he's, you know, uh, the president opens it up. He's like, Dustin's Motel, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like he's like, I got it from the Library of Congress, <laughs> and uh, and so we find out when we flash back to earlier in the week that um, there's been a bunch of shenanigans with Bartlett trying to decide between what Bible he wants to get sworn in on, uh, and it's sort of this running comedy subplot that's not really that funny, but. It's not, like, laugh-out-loud funny, but it is sort of charming and amusing. Like, at one point, they bring in, like, the Jefferson Bible. It's this fucking mammoth thing back in the days when monks wrote, like, giant pictorials F- in the fully Bible. Fully illuminated, like, yeah. you know, marginalia and yeah. stuff. And he's like, well, the first lady has to hold this, and uh, I think it would this would break her wrist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, and then there's all these, like, you know, logistical details with, like, okay, we'll go get the Bartlett Bible. And it's like, well, uh, the the museum doesn't want to donate the Bartlett Bible to you. And it's like, but it's my Bible. I bought it twice. It's it's mine. Why can't I use it? And they're like, well, it warps in the, in the weather or whatever. And he's like, all right, fine, get another one. He's like, uh, we can get the Jefferson Bible. He's like, oh, what, that one doesn't warp in the weather? He's like, well, I guess they just don't care about it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so, you know, it's cute or whatever. It, it No stakes, but I just thought like felt like mentioning it before we, uh, we firmly well, wrap up here. It's very strange because they also mentioned the tidbit that they don't actually have to swear in on a Bible. You Correct. Can... Josh, Josh says, in fact, that you could swear in on the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. <laughs> Which would be basically America.book. Like, it'd be... <laughs> It'd be right that, up. That's our, much more American than the Bible. To yeah, be right up our nation's alley. Yeah. I'm going to swear in on the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, and hey, that way you don't offend any non-Christian people. That's you right. Know? <laughs> you could you could actually argue the case that it's more progressive. I only offend orc Americans. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that that pretty much does it for our discussion of part one of inauguration. We'll be back next week to discuss part two. Of inauguration, where I assume we're going to get more Kundu stuff uh, and more Bible stuff, and uh, and I forget what else happens. So we'll be, but we'll be happy to tackle all that when we discuss it. Uh, as always, thanks for listening. Uh, you can drop us a comment in either of our threads, uh, or you can shoot the show an email at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. which is nice. Which is always nice. So thanks for listening. And uh, everyone, take care and stay safe. Yep, y'all stay safe. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Send all the money you ask for, but don't ask me to come on over.